Uh, what I thought we'd do this morning is, is briefly review last week, just to just to get some, um, uh, I guess, some coordination uh, between this last week and this week, because really they, they go together. Um, if you remember last week, we talked about, well, the title of, of, of the message was When Things Are Worse Than They Seem. And if you turn to Matthew 21, we see in, in Matthew 21, um, the, the, we looked at the triumphal entry uh, of Christ. And um, the disciples were, were to go and get a donkey and, and bring it back to Christ in 21.7. And, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their clothes. And, and uh, they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches from trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes went before them and followed and were crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And, and, and we talked about how outwardly there was great rejoicing and, and celebration that in fact they recognized uh, or at least they, they, they recognized and thought that this was, in fact, the promised Messiah that would fulfill all of their, their messianic hopes and all of their messianic expectations. And, and we, we had that video uh, that, that depicted this celebration and this worship. And then Dan's beautiful playing of Bach, the, the, the dissonance, the minor key, that we, we, we emphasized that in the, midst of this suff- in, in the midst of this celebration and worship, there was a foreboding note uh, over all of them, and that was, in fact, coming judgment. Um, we, we looked at, uh, beginning in chapter 21, uh, verse 28, that, that Jesus begins to, to, to mount this, this revelation of, of judgment, uh, uh, and, and he tells several parables. The first is a parable of two sons. One had two, um, a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he repented. He changed his mind, and he went, and he went. And he came to the second son and said, uh, Likewise, go and, and work. And he said, I will go, sir, but he didn't go. And then Jesus asked, Whither of the two did the will of his father? And they answered him, The first. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say to you that the publicans and the harlots will go into the kingdom of God before you. Which would have been shocking to say that because the Jews viewed themselves as the special people of God by virtue of their ethnicity. They're Jews. And, and in fact, Jesus said, in fact, uh, tax collectors and, and prostitutes will go to heaven and you won't. He followed up with a, a, a parable of the tenants, of these wicked tenants. Um, uh, that, that, that the, he sent them and look me thirty two for John came into you in the way of righteousness and you believed him not but the publicans and the harlots believed him and you when you had seen it you you repented not afterwards that ye might believe in him here another parable there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to tenants and went into a far country. When the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants that he might receive the fruits of it. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Now, what is he referring to in this parable? He was referring to Israel and how they treated the prophets. Prophet after prophet after prophet. They beat and they killed and they stoned. Verse 36, he sent another 
he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, they sent unto, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Obviously, this is Jesus. When the Lord, therefore, the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those tenants? They say unto him, he will miserably, they said unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other tenants, which shall render him the fruit in their seasons. From their own lips, they answered Jesus and said that the kingdom has been taken away from us and given to others. And in fact, Jesus said, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner, the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth its fruits thereof. And in fact, we see in First Peter chapter 2. Uh, I didn't read that last week, but I want to read it today. First Peter chapter 2. Peter said, unto you, therefore, which, unto you therefore who believe, he is precious. But unto them which disbelieve, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. The same quote as in Matthew. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Wherefore, unto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Who was he speaking to? The church. He says to the church, you are the chosen generation. You are the royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, in which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. This was what he was saying to Israel, to these Jewish leaders. In fact, he, he begins to ratchet it up in uh, chapter 22 and he talks about the parable of the marriage and they, they invite these, all of these people who don't come. And he sent his servants out to bring others that were not invited and they do come, much like the parable of the two sons. And then those two ominous chapters, chapters 23 and 24. 23, when it's beginning to crescendo, and these seven woe to you um, statements. Woe to you, verse 13, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. You don't permit others to go in. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Look at 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like under whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of, sepulchers of the righteous 
and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets, which is so ironic because they were in the very process of killing his very prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill you up then the measure of your father's sin, your father's guilt. Well, uh, verse 34, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify. And some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily, I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation, the people he was talking to. And that would be enough. But he says in 38, behold, not only all of these things that I've just said were going to come upon you, this generation, but your house is left unto you desolate. The house was the temple. And in fact, chapter 24 gives a litany of all that was going to transpire in Jerusalem and in, in, in Israel and ultimately the absolute complete destruction of the temple. And he ends with these words, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. In the midst of their celebrating, in the midst of their worshiping, all of these things was what was really true and was really hanging over their head. And in fact, that generation did not pass away until all these things were fulfilled and we saw the complete obliteration of Jerusalem in the temple. And we made the argument... Things were a lot worse than they seemed at the triumphal entry. Today, though, is the good news. This is when things are better than they seem. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 23. When things are better than they seem. Luke 23. We'll begin in uh, verse 26. And as they led him away, Jesus, they laid hold upon one Simon of Cyrene coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. This is he's he's reiterating all of the judgments that he's that he's just foretold that is recorded in Matthew. That's why he's saying to them, you are the ones who, who need to weep and wail. Then they shall begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? There were also two other male malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, they crucified him. And the male malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left, and then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding this, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. Skip down to verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth unto the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. 
When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Turn now to verse 52. This man, Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. It's hard to put ourselves in their place, isn't it? Because we have the Bible. We have 2,000 years of history. We know what happened. But I want you for, for a moment, as best as you can, suspend all that and put yourself in their place. The, the, the disciples and all the people that have been following Jesus. In fact, going back to the triumphal entry, this was the one who they thought had fulfilled the prophecies. This was the Messiah. This was the one who was going to indeed remove and, and, and rescue them from, uh, from Rome. And now what's happened? Now he's dead. He died a horrible, cru- uh, horrible, shameful death on the cross. And now he's dead. I want you to think about what you'd be feeling at that moment. Confusion. I, we thought he was the one. Failure. The, the, this, this, grand, uh, this grand plan that God had through his Messiah has now failed. Disappointment. Doubt. Fear. Totally demoralized. Again, we have to put ourselves in their place. They went from things who had never been better And now it seems as though things could not possibly be worse. How could good come out of this? We'll skip over, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. I'm sorry, 24, 13, yeah. After all of this had happened, two of them, two of the disciples, went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they were communing together, they reasoned together, and Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have with one another, and that ye walk and are so sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that has not known the things which have come to pass in these days? How ironic was that statement? Are you the only one who doesn't realize what's happened? The very Savior who was just crucified. Do you not know what's going on? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they have crucified him. And here's, here's the crucial statement. But we had hoped that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And what's the implication? That's failed. And beside all this, to this day, the third day since these things were done. Yes, and certain women also of our company made us astonished 
which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. If you look back at verse 11, we'll see how they had responded to that. And the women, the words of the women seemed to them as idle tales. And they believed them not. Verse 25, Then Jesus said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke and gave it to them. Isn't it interesting? And their eyes were opened. This wasn't the first time that they had probably experienced and seen Jesus break bread and give to others. When would that have been? The feeding of the 5,000. Something happened when Jesus broke that bread and, and prayed that their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? It's interesting to me that in the midst of their hopelessness, in the, in the midst of this, this abject failure and, and, and despondency and discouragement, that Jesus again appears to them and now it seems that suddenly things are better than they seem. Jesus had told them this was going to happen. The women confirmed that this happened, and yet they, they still saw it as, as idle tales that, that surely it can't be true. And yet we know now that it was better than it seemed. In the midst of failure, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of everything that their eyes could see, this was there's no way good could come of this. Jesus is dead. He, he was crucified on the cross. He's, he was buried. What good could possibly come of this? Have you found yourself saying those words recently? It's because things were better than they seemed. And the first thing was the resurrection. For without death, there is no resurrection. Resurrection is a meaningless term if there's no death. Turn now, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15. So things were better than they seemed because Jesus had to die for a number of reasons. Obviously, to pay the debt and to turn away and to propitiate God's wrath from us. But it was also, there was also another reason for it. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not, 
I mean, he's, he's making a very logical, logical argument. Listen, if there is no resurrection of the dead, if people die and they become worm food and they cease to exist, then, then our preaching is in vain. We're found to be false prophets and false witnesses. Verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And you are still in your sins. It's interesting that when you really look at, <clears throat> if you were to ask, what was it that paid the penalty for our sins? We would normally say what? His death. But really, it was his death and his resurrection. If Christ be not raised, then you are still in your sins. See, part of the propitiatory death was resurrection. In fact, these, these words we've all heard, if, if this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that have slept, those who have died. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his order, Christ the first fruits, and after that, we who are Christ at his coming. <clears throat> so the good thing that was happening was that he had to die in order to be raised again. His death and his resurrection is what was required to satisfy God's wrath. But not only did it satisfy God's wrath, his death and his resurrection, but his death and resurrection secured our resurrection when we die. That is a good thing, by the way. Things seem better than they seem, or things were better than they seemed, because in Christ's death and his subsequent resurrection, we were promised and our future resurrection is secured. His death really wasn't enough to secure our resurrection. It was his death and his resurrection. Christ the firstfruits, and after that, Christ and his coming. But there was another benefit. To his death and his resurrection. Look back with me at verse in, in Luke twenty four forty nine. Actually, let's start in forty four. Susie, I jumped way ahead. And he said unto them, These are the words which I have spoken to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. In other words, Christ's death and his resurrection was that we can find in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms. Then he opened their minds that they might understand the scriptures. Why is it that they missed Christ's death and his resurrection? Because they misinterpreted the scriptures. They weren't reading the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. Here it is. And behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you. 
tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And who? what was that gift that was given to them? Holy Spirit. What is the gift that is given, given to us? The Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 16, if you want to turn there, you can. I'll read it. John 16, listen to these words. Nevertheless, I tell you that tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. It is expedient for you that I die and that I'm resurrected. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, if I die and I ascend, I am raised from the dead and I ascend to the Father, I will send him unto you. Verse 8, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to the father and you see see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of me and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Obviously, that the death and resurrection of Christ was necessary for him to send the Holy Spirit. And now, Jesus' ministry is not limited to his earthly, physical body. Now, God can dwell in all of his people at the same time. He says, in fact, it's expedient. It's better that I go away, because now I will send the Holy Spirit. Now, in these words, when he comes, he will will guide you into all truth. And... uh, he will bring to mind all the things that I have spoken to you. The immediate interpretation of this is he's talking to the apostles, is he not? And, and probably re- talking about the recording of Scripture. That, that God would give them perfect memory of the things that he said. And he'll bring that to mind and to memory to them. But it also applies to us. The illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit as we read God's word. That the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth as well. We look, think of Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. We have the incredible privilege of, ha- of having a permanent indwelling, the, the permanent indwelling Spirit who then fills us for life and for ministry. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. In Galatians, he talks about walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. This is a privilege that we take for granted so often. That all of the people of God prior to Christ's death and resurrection did not have that luxury. This glorious, Christ-exalting ministry of the Holy Spirit. Resurrection, Holy Spirit... What about specific application for us? I don't think we can say that whenever um, things seem really bad, uh, that God is going to perform a miracle. I don't think we can say that. I think conservatively, I, I hearken back to that phrase when he opened their minds 
to the scriptures. And when he expounded the scriptures to them, he said, you didn't believe the scriptures. You didn't really interpret them correctly. You didn't read them correctly. The reason they were down, the reason why they experienced such a sense of failure was because they didn't understand God's word. They didn't know what God had promised them. They didn't really read what Jesus had. They didn't really listen to what Jesus had said to them. They didn't really read what the prophets and the Psalms had said to them through the scriptures. So I think what we take from this, when things are bad (laughs) in our lives, in our personal lives, in in our culture or both. I don't think that we would approach it from the standpoint of hopelessness and despair and doubt and discouragement. Man, things are worse than they've ever been. But instead, what are we to do? I think we're to search the scriptures. We're to go back to the scriptures and to see what has God promised us. What has God said about life and death? What has God said about his kingdom? We look not to our own wisdom. We look not to our own understanding. We certainly don't look at our current circumstances. But we look to the scriptures. We go back to the scriptures. We search the scriptures. We, 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 we hang on to those things that God has promised us. We hold on to those things and we, we, we rightly interpret God's word in terms of his plan and his purposes and his, his kingdom. We take God's word and God's promises at faith value. They didn't. No doubt the cross was God's greatest achievement. If, if in fact you can put the scale on greatest when God works. It's interesting that what man intended to use as an instrument of death, God used the very, that very thing as an instrument for life and righteousness. I'm reminded of Genesis 50:20. Remember, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The very instrument that man uses to destroy, oftentimes, in this case, God uses to bring about his purposes, his good purposes. What the, the, the greatest injustice of history, unarguably, the greatest injustice of history, really provided the payment for sinners to be made right with God. Things were truly better than they seem. And I would submit to us that things are better than they seem right now. Because we serve a risen Lord who has been, the scriptures have said, he is the Savior of the world. That's what we hang on to. That's what we rejoice over this morning. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we doubt you, when we doubt your plans, when we doubt your purposes because of what we see going on around us. I think that we in many ways can um, relate to those disciples in that early church from the standpoint of this feeling of despair and defeat and failure. I pray that you would open our minds to the Scriptures. That you, through the Holy Spirit, would illuminate our minds and expound the truths of the Scriptures to us. Your great and precious promises. 
the advancement of your kingdom. The many things that you have told us we are to do in the midst of hardship and challenges. To remain faithful. To follow after you. To love and to serve with joy and gladness. To not fret over the apparent success of evil. But indeed to commit our lives to you. We thank you for all of these things. The things oftentimes in our world are worse than they seem when when others are oblivious to their true spiritual condition. And And when things are better than they seem, when we know that you have a greater plan and grand promises, and our job is to trust them and to have faith in them. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.